0: Yale Podcast Network.
1: From the campus of Yale University, this is To Live and Dialogue in LA. I'm Aaron Tracy. On the pod today, very simply, one of my favorite movie stars of all time. We don't usually have actors on here but I guess I decided I was willing to make an exception for Michael Douglas. Also, while Michael's most well-known for acting, he's also an incredibly successful producer who won the Oscar for Best Picture his first time out, which I'll discuss with him. But as an actor, Michael has left an indelible mark. He helped define an entire era of films. It's impossible to think of Hollywood in the 1980s and 90s without Michael Douglas. While other actors of the period like Tom Hanks, Tom Cruise, and later Will Smith, were playing the sort of righteous, moral heroes that the studios of the time were interested in making movies about, Michael almost always played a jerk, or a weasel, or a son of a bitch. But importantly, these weren't the bad guys. These were the protagonists. Michael was playing anti-heroes a decade after they went out of style in film, and a decade before they came to prominence on TV. Think about Michael's miracle year. In the fall of 1987, Michael starred in two era-defining movies that dominated the conversation of the time and launched a million imitations. The first, Fatal Attraction, which came out on September 11, 1987, is a psychological thriller about adultery. It was the highest grossing movie of the year worldwide. Stop and think about that for a sec. A movie made for adults, about adult issues, was the biggest movie of the year. For comparison, the biggest movies of the last three years were all sequels based on comic books or fantasy properties. Fatal Attraction had six Oscar nominations, including for Best Picture. Two months later, on December 11th, Wall Street was released, an extraordinarily well-written morality tale. It's one of my all-time favorites and has a screenplay that should be studied in every film class in America. For many, the film defined the excess of the 1980s. Michael's line, often misquoted as greed is good, became one of the most repeated pieces of dialogue in movie history. Michael won the Oscar for his performance as Gordon Gekko. So, while Michael's contemporaries were playing good guy cops, naval heroes, and prohibition agents, Michael was playing an adulterer who almost got his family killed for his affair and the human embodiment of the devil in corporate finance. But we never turned on Michael, as an audience, like James Gandolfini or Brian Cranston more recently on TV, Michael was too charming, too likable, too hard to stay mad at. He was and is a movie star who isn't afraid to undermine everything that term is supposed to mean. I grew up watching and loving Michael's 80s movies, so talking to him is a giant thrill. We're going to get into a bunch of my favorite of his movies, including Romancing the Stone, The American President, Traffic, Wonder Boys and of course, Fatal Attraction and Wall Street. So, here he is, one of the last, great, all-time movie stars, Michael Douglas.
2: Cuckoo's Nest came about one like many other people, I was in in college and I was reading 20th century uh, American literature, and Cuckoo's Nest was one of the required uh, reading pieces, sure. and uh, it blew my mind. Yeah. I mean, in 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 part, I was a product of the 60s, psychedelics and whatever else was uh, prevalent at uh, Santa Barbara in at that time, um, and the the book was t- was was written in a um, Uh, with a a, a psychedelic point of view in terms of the big chief uh, being medicated and and hallucinating as to what was going on. But I thought it was good. My father, Kirk, had bought the book in, in, I was unaware of this per se at the time, in galley form um, and proceeded to go back to Broadway and had it adapted into a, a play and at the height of his career um, in the early uh, 60s, it was soon after Spartacus, and he went back and did the play on Broadway. Hmm. He played R.P. McMurphy sure. and uh, did the show. Um, and um, the idea was that it happened a lot then for actors, that they would you know, do the, the show and then they get the attention and they would may- adapt it into a movie and move on but the, the the play was received with mixed response and uh, did never really achieve the success so dad was unable to get the momentum make it into a um, into a movie and ultimately was selling the rights
1: and was the, the right play to- written by bo goldman also
2: the uh, I, I knew you were going to ask me. The play is not written by Bogle. <laughs> okay. Um, it, um it, Dale Wasserman. Okay. Dale Wasserman, I believe, wrote, wrote the who, who also I think wrote the book to the man of La Mancha, I believe. Um, and so I was then out of. Uh, I left college. I had begun my career um, as an actor. I had done a couple of movies for CBS Films. It was, was beginning to do it, up doing episodic television, and I heard when Dad was selling the project, and I asked him, "Can I can, let, let me run with this? Let me see if I can get this set up. Uh, I, I, I love this project." Did uh, you want to play McMurphy? Excuse me.
1: Did you want to play McMurphy?
2: No, God, no, no. I was, you know, I was twenty-four, twenty-five mm-hmm. years old. Um, I considered um, wanting to play Billy Bibbit yeah um as the production when we got into the production but brad Dourif was was so wonderful he was, uh, yeah in his audition and and there was no doubt. and i had more than um uh, more than enough to uh, to do um and in any event it finally it took me about four or five years um to to get it to get the script right the the initial draft was uh, written with a friend of mine Larry Hobin uh from Santa Barbara and we worked together sort of cutting and pasting between uh between the book and um and the play. Oh, that's interesting. Uh to some degree. And had a, an initial an initial screenplay. Um and then ultimately found my partner Saul Zance uh, from Fantasy Records who was up in Berkeley, California. Sure. Uh which I was very fortunate because it was at the same time that I was shooting streets of San Francisco, in San Francisco, so I could pop over there, and over the year and a half, we had together before we were able to get to to production, uh-huh. and um, so then that brought, basically, Saul and I together um, as producers, novice producers, and I remember we went out to different uh, directors. Uh, for the uh, with the project, and we're really disappointed at how closely the uh, the directors held their cards to their chest. They they really did not share a lot with us. We were frustrated. We weren't sure. Many of these directors were fairly well known, had much more credits than than we did. But finally, uh, finally, we we met Milos Forman. And uh, <clears throat> one of the reasons why we were attracted to Milos Foreman was he did a movie called The Fireman's Ball, a uh, Czech picture, which I would encourage your listeners or your yeah. students to see. Which, which, which was a movie which takes place in a um, in one sort of one room. It's a, a uh, it's a it's a small town in in Czechoslovakia which is having a a the um, fireman put on a little ch- charity event and have a, elect a kind of a queen and you know, all in a very small town feeling. But they did a wonderful job. Miloš did of of handling a lot of different actors as as well as a sense of humor that he found, not laughing at these people, but kind of a dry sense of humor. And anyway, Milos came out uh, to California, and he sat down with Saul and I, and he opened the script to page one, and he proceeded to tell us exactly what he wanted to do. Hmm. And uh, it was a cathartic moment for Saul and I, that there was a guy who really wanted to share this process with us um, together and and, uh, and then we were off and running. What did
1: he think of the script? Was it that he wanted a page one rewrite, he wanted to tear it up, or he was sort of happy with what you all had put together?
2: He, he had, we, we brought Bo in. No, we, it, it needed work. Mm-hmm. Um, it, needed, it definitely needed work. And we brought uh, we brought Bo, uh, Bo Goldman in but I think one of the one of the healthy um, one of the healthy uh, processes that Milos had is Milos was like a logician. He reduced everything to the lowest common denominator. Simple. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. 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 So he walks into the room. Yeah. He see what does he see? Yeah. He sees that. Then what happens? and he would talk out loud and he enjoyed um the debate he enjoyed the discussion he was not one of those directors who kept it all to himself and was so paranoid and, and worried right and one of the big uh, issues in the um, uh in the script which we felt very important about was the fishing sequence because so much of the movie took place inside of the uh, hospital, we really felt there was a need to get outside. And Milos did not know what to do, you know. So he kept fighting us, uh, and we had some we had some serious arguments and fights. But the wonderful thing about Milos was, yeah, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. You are so stupid, you yeah, know. And then beat, beat. So I'm hungry. Hi, let's go eat. We go eat something, huh? I mean, he—it was never personal. It was always in the spirit of trying to get to the bottom of what was best. Mm-hmm. And finally, we persuaded him, you know. And I—and in hindsight, Milos was wonderful. He said, "You were right. We had to get out of the uh, of the hospital, and we also needed a a, a real piece of comic uh, relief."
1: Mm-hmm. Um, And so it sounds like, you know, with with Cuckoos, you were obviously very involved uh, from the very beginning with figuring out, you know, how it should go, what the script should be, um, even working on the script, it sounds like. With your next few movies, was that something you continued to do to work with the writer from the very pitch stage all the way through development? Or were you getting more spec scripts sent your way? How did uh, the next few scripts come to you?
2: Um, they came as scripts. Uh, the next one as is a, is a producer would have been The China Syndrome,
0: uh-huh.
2: which was written by a guy named Mike Gray um, out of Chicago, who um, was sort of a documentary filmmaker and engineer. And I thought it was a good horror movie. Uh, it was, he had an engineering background, so he had a very detailed technical. It was about, it was about a nuclear meltdown. Sure. Um, I can't. I cannot say that this was a, a a political issue for me. I really saw it as a horror movie, you know, man against machine and this machine, like AI, out of control and uh, and, and taking over. As a result of doing the movie, I became very immersed in in, in the issue. But China Syndrome was a script which we stuck with Mike Gray as the writer for the whole time. That's great. Romancing the Stone uh, was written by a young lady named Diane Thomas, right. who was a waitress actually at a restaurant up in malibu uh i was now I had a studio contract producing contract deal, and we were able to 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 buy the script i think it was like three hundred and twenty five thousand hmm. dollars, which was an extraordinary amount of money to pay for any script better yet a first time script
1: yeah, it'd still be a lot now
2: still be a lot now. And, uh, I, but I, I always thought, you know, I never understood that argument. I didn't care if it was the first time somebody wrote or they'd been writing for their whole life. If it was that good. And that was a script where I saw the whole movie right there on, on that draft. There were drafts to happen, more drafts to come. And, and that one was right there. So those, those were, um.
1: Yeah. I'm fascinated by that. In, in the revision process with Diane, um, you know, Ro- Romance in the Stone* was sort of one of your one of your early lead roles. Um, did you work with her a lot on your character? Did you have a lot of input on, uh, you know, w- what your character was doing and saying?
2: Not, not really, because I I really was not, uh, you know, I was not thought of as, as I didn't develop it for me. I mean, what happened? One of the disparities is when you do a television series, as they did with *Streets of San Francisco*. I was still a television actor. The fact that I had won an Oscar for Cuckoo's Nest as a producer and had a feature film producing career, but I was not yet approved um, by many of the studios. Uh, so with the China Syndrome, I was able to take a secondary role. Um, you know, in that picture, starred Jack Lemmon and Jane Fonda. But by the time of Romancing the Stone, um, I, I was not approved. Mm-hmm. So I had as a producer, I had other pictures for instance um I had a picture called Starman
0: sure.
2: that Jeff Bridges uh was nominated for Academy Award. I wanted to do that picture, but I was not an approved actor. Hmm. Um so initially we started off and I tried to get a number of different actors for the role um as uh as I was trying to get uh, uh, actresses uh, and then finally, when we got Kathleen, um, who had only done Body Heat, was her only picture before that, was great. They they allowed me to play the role of Jack Colton, although um, I, admit, <coughs> I tried to get many other people for that role.
1: Interesting. Um, <coughs> and what about by the time we got to Fatal Attraction by James Dearden? At that point, I imagine you were much more, um, well, you tell me, were you more hands-on with the script and, and your role in it?
2: Yes. I mean, well, I've I've I've, I've always been, um, you know, hands-on. That was a a project which um, I I developed uh, through a number of stages. Oh, okay. W- with Sherry Lansing, uh, mm-hmm. with Sherry Lansing um, as one of our, my producing uh, partners, and it was based on James Dearden's had done a short film, um, a short film on this on the same on the same theme.
1: Interesting, and that came to you somehow, and you, along with your partner, decided along with Sherry decided to. And Stanley into your Jaffe,
2: Stanley uh-huh. Jaffe, and Sherry Lansing, yes, yeah, I mean, that came early on. Look at this, and I we worked together on the uh, on that script, um, hmm. found Adrian Lyon, um eventually to direct it, but again they they. Um, they stood by me. They were wonderfully supportive. Even at that point in my career there were directors who wanted to do it but wanted a different actor uh, involved. Right. Did uh, we, and so yeah. that that was the year for me as as an as an actor, that was the year of the combination of a Fatal Attraction uh, was in early fall, and then Wall Street was uh, later uh, in, in that uh,
1: that year. Right. Two that- extraordinary films, two extraordinary scripts also. And in both, you play uh, what we would call today on TV an antihero. Did mm-hmm. you have any qualms at the time about playing such despicable, unlikable people? I mean, they they obviously had so much charm to them, but in one, you're an adulterer, and the other, you're Gordon Gecko.
2: Right, right. Well, as I look back on careers, uh, I'm, I think the uh, the um, antagonists or the villains have been a large part of many people's careers. Uh, I um, you know I look back on my father Kirk's career, and he did several sort of sensitive young man roles until the movie called The Champion, which he got nominated for an Oscar for in in that year. We played a much tough, darker kind of guy, we sort of personified his uh, his uh, archetype, his character. And for me, I think it happened somewhat the same way. It wasn't until, uh, until Wall Street really and or um, failed attraction um, that I was able to get a, a lot more attention. It was an interesting thing that was going on is when we look back at Cuckoo's Nest, and this is how important casting is, and I know your focus is on, on screenwriting, but no actress wanted to play the part of Nurse Ratchet. Hmm. We offered that part to five, six well-known actresses, and that was a point in the women's movement uh, and everything where the idea of a woman being a villain uh, was perceived as, as, as not being politically correct. Interesting. Um, so... Louise Fletcher, you know, got uh, that role, and
1: she won the Oscar for it. Yes, she did. Yeah. Um, w- what about working with Oliver Stone in Wall Street? Was that a script that came to you that he sent to you? Was it a, a pitch you developed? Um, how did that come about?
2: No, that was that, that. was a that was Oliver had sent me a script that he had uh, written. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's amazingly prolific, talented. Writers as, as well as director. I didn't know Oliver. Um, he he felt that he needed an actor who had some uh, business acumen, and I guess because you know I was a producer right. and you know had to deal with business, that was the kind of catch. I didn't know him, um, but I'll be eternally grateful for um, him offering me, giving me one of the best roles. Yeah. I ever had. It was just a, 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 a beautifully, beautifully written uh, piece.
1: And it's like uh, a, it's a morality tale almost. It's, it's a morality yeah, tale. And, 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 and,
2: and amazingly, amazingly how well it stands up and, and or how little Wall Street has yeah. changed except
1: the number's getting larger. And for, for Wall Street and for Fatal Attraction, I'm just curious um, in terms of your, you know, input into the script. I mean, obviously you're working with, um, you know, great directors on both. But during the table read, is that your time to um, speak up about things that aren't working for you in your part? Is it, you know, before then because you're now a, a powerful um, producer? Um, you know, at what stage are you really sort of getting your hands dirty with those two films in particular?
2: Uh, but, but they're very different. Fatal Attraction. I was involved in the in the very beginning before the script was uh, from the short film. Yeah, from from the short film, and it was just such a wonderful high concept. You know, such a brilliantly clear high concept. It's the worst nightmare. You know, the worst. What's, what's the worst possible nightmare of a one of a one night affair? Right.
1: Um,
2: and so I was involved with with that sort of from the beginning. In terms of giving
1: uh, uh notes in terms of um you know sort well, of
2: yeah we had we had the um we had the yes i mean we had the, we had the basic you know we had his 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 short story and um and eventually we brought in you know an additional uh screenwriter because i think it is difficult sometimes for somebody from initial short story it it, it is hard i, I Right. I, I tend to be wary of, of writer directors. Oh, really? Um, I, every time I get offered something where it's the writer is directing it, I'm a little nervous because they the more they're going to be so locked into their vision that they're not able to accept uh, new ideas mm-hmm. and are just going to be uh, resistant. The biggest thing that happened for me in in, in that picture, Fatal Attraction. Was as an adulterer, uh, you know, and as somebody you wonder where you're going to get where you get your support from. Is it early in the, in that movie? I have this affair with Glenn Close, and then I go back to my apartment. And I get in the bed and I ruffle up the bed and the sheets to make it look like I slept the night there. Right. And we had a screening. The audience laughed. <laughs> and I remember Sherry Lansing turning to me, and said, "I can't believe this. They're forgiving you already. They've already forgiven you." Wow. And so I guess I learned early on as an actor that I had a fortunate quality. We'll sort of find what qualities are that audience would go with me. You know, they they would go they would go along and they would forgive me. Yeah. Uh, so I have abused that <laughs> trait uh, f- uh, for a while, but it, it gave me the the freedom to take more risks, you mm-hmm. know, and to then when when Wall Street came up and to play this kind of villain which ultimately ended up, you know, I, I, I have to always, I, it's one of the pictures where people come up to me the most, you know, you're the guy that got me into Wall Street, man. That oh, was fantastic. God. I say, I was the villain. Right. I, I went to jail. No, no, that's okay. No. <laughs> so, again, they like forgiving you, if You either because of the style, or your 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 wardrobe or whatever else they now have, have forgiven you. So I sort of took advantage of that.
1: For right. Them my career um, jumping forward a little bit um, I made a I wrote a TV pilot that got made last year that Rob Reiner produced and he was telling me about the American president um, and how Aaron Sorkin's script came in at 380 pages Bye. and you know Sorkin was staying up all night at the four seasons and you know writing it and setting pages in the morning and never came to set and um, and originally, I know, you know, Rob said that it was written for Robert Redford. Mm-hmm. And then it took a very different turn. I'm curious when you came in to the process.
2: Well, you know, that, that was... Again, that's an actor for hire. And you really don't know what the um, the history is. You know, the last thing they're going to tell you is, oh, Robert Redford was supposed to do it. Right. So you like to think... Uh, it was just... Yeah, Rob did a, 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 I guess, a magical job. I never knew it was that long. I knew they had to bring it down a lot, but we've all learned who Aaron Sorkin is, yeah. You know? And uh, he's is a great writer. It was just it was beautifully, beautifully written.
1: And uh, it, beautifully, it wasn't as much of an anti-heroic part as you had been playing uh, previously. Did it feel? Were you cognizant of that? Did that was that a, a purposeful no, choice? I, I,
2: I'm I guess this is a, a, an important moment in, in 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 this conversation. And I've never been kind of aware of my image or or how it was seen. <laughs> I've just always gone with the material. I've always just you know hung into whether it's a small part in a good movie. because I'd much rather be have a small part in a good movie than a big part in a bad picture. But from those early years, I guess my point I was trying to make before, from those early years between the the, the National Playwrights Conference and then doing the television series, I learned a lot about structure, you know. And uh, and as long as I read something and I was viscerally moved, either it made me laugh, or I was scared, or or it made me cry um and i i get an emotional response to the piece strong enough that i would go back and read it a second time to make sure i was not seduced by the writing right and the second time i read it i would break it down structurally and i'm a very old fashioned first act second act third act kind of guy i'm i'm that I'm, that is my strength and my weakness um why is that I, I a weakness re- well sometimes there are other structures
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know um there are other rhythms you know rather than uh, 2 4 4 4 time you can get 6 8 5 8 you get a different rhythm right which may make it harder for you to see the overall structure but you know some people can i'm 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 more on the on the beat mhm uh, kind of guy um so anyway, so that 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 played a, a um, an important a, important part. So I was just thought it was really. Uh, really great writing,
1: for sure. Uh, and is, I, I mean, I'm I'm so surprised to hear you say that you weren't really um, thinking about your image or you know sort of the the roles you had recently played and and what the audience might be thinking about you. What about sort of changing up genres? Was that important to you? I mean, before The American President uh, was Basic Instinct, which is obviously a very very different kind of movie. Was that uh, was that a purposeful choice to to change?
2: I looked at the at the thing there was a there was a busy time in there because you know we got uh, we got Black Rain mm-hmm. in there, we got the War of the Roses mm-hmm. um in in there to uh, all different time. genres. Yeah. Excuse me?
1: All different genres.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I like the unpredictability. I, I, I enjoyed I mean I, I savor the one thing that I've heard throughout my fifty year career, which I really appreciate, is you know, when I see your name I don't know what it's gonna be. Mm. But I know it's gonna be good. Right. So I go, All right, so I got so I have a good batting average, you know, I got a good batting and yes. that's really because I think of my knowledge. My long-term knowledge of just structure, of, of 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 reading something and knowing when I think it's a good movie, then if the structure, the blueprint is there, then it's a question of how you elaborate on it in terms of the director and your cast and your music choice, and your right. choice of editor, and even if I'm not uh, directly involved as a producer, when I get hired as an actor, I look into who are who are, who are all the pieces. Um, what are the team? Because this is a, you know this is a very collaborative uh, collaborative art form. Once you get past the uh, script,
1: sure. Um, do you remember uh, when you first read Traffic, Steven Gagan's great script? Yes, I did. And I do. so that wasn't a lead role for you. Uh, was it the the role that attracted you? Was it the script? Was it the director, Soderbergh? It,
2: it was. It was a, a combination. It was. It was certainly. Um, uh, the script. I, I, it was a wonderful script in terms of these three, these three parallel stories. It was different than what I normally had done because they were interwinding, interwinding three stories. Mm-hmm. I knew Stephen was a um, was a talented uh, uh, actor. Um, I I was involved when that one Stephen came to me. I was involved for a while, and then the script went through some rewrites and uh the part of uh the part of the drug czar got diminished um uh, uh to some degree there's a couple of things i didn't feel comfortable with um and that's with with at that point in time they wanted they were having me to drug czar my my daughter was uh you know was was an addict and they wanted me to, to be trying cocaine you know just try to understand what she was going through so he fell out. They got Harrison Ford came in hmm. for a moment. Like He was going do it, Then he fell out. And then I had second thoughts again about the project, and I reached out to Stephen and said, look, I'd love to do it if you still want me.
1: Wow. And did they end up cutting the material that uh, was bothersome? They did.
2: Mm-hmm. They, 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 did. They, they cut it before we started. Yeah. Um. Uh, we started. And but they, again, that was uh, just a, a combination of... of 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 a lot of talented people working together.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh I think around the same time you uh you made Wonder Boys written by Steve Cloves. Um that's uh, again, that's such a it's such a literary movie, it's such a incredible script. Um d- w- what attracted you to Wonder Boys? The script?
2: Um I well I think that was a uh I mean it was just great again great writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was a, it was a wonderful, uh, wonderful book. Uh, so for me, I, I, that was a tonal question in terms of having done a few of these sort of thrillers. Um, you know, The Perfect Murder and some yeah. of these other kind of threat ones I wanted. I've always been curious about comedy. I love comedy. It's not something you know, I come to naturally. You know, Romancing the Stone had a bit of it. Yeah war of the war of the roses but this i this was sort of like a shaggy dog story you mm-hmm. know the, the 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 tone um curtis hansen um i i was it was a it was just a really excellent script and again one of those pieces that was so beautifully cast i mean we had a fabulous you know yeah. fabulous cast between katie holmes and toby uh, toby mcguire robert downey junior fan McDormand you know it was an unbelievable cast yeah so that's you know when you just combine you know I don't use the analogy of an NFL team or something but you know when you got everybody you got you got great players at every position and you got a strong strong game plan and a really good coach your your chances of creating something special um, and that was one <clears throat> but it didn't do particularly well they even gave it a second chance I never quite understood it, uh, about why, why, why it didn't, uh, hmm. although I think that was one where um, my image sort of caught up with, with me, and I don't think people necessarily perceived it exactly, also it was marketed strangely. Hmm.
1: Uh, it's such a terrific movie, people should go back and watch it, uh, with a really great script. Yes, um, it was. And then, again, sort of changing genres, you did Behind the Candelabra, uh, Richard, right. Richard Lagravinese um did that script uh i th- this is certainly the first one we've talked about where you played a real person um, Right. was that something you were uh hesitant about doing earlier in your career or was it simply that this role spoke to you in some way
2: yeah no i i again i've never thought about that wasn't the reason it's always just been the material but mm-hmm. when i was doing traffic years earlier Travel, one day steven was like so looking at me quizzically and he said, "Did you ever think about playing Liberace?" Thought,
1: <laughs> that is, surprising. and I
2: thought, Jesus, maybe I'm mincing too much, or whatever, you know? <laughs> I immediately went to the paranoia, and I said, "No, no, Stephen, that hasn't crossed my mind," and I never thought anything about it. And then, um, and then years later, I actually came at a really fortuitous time. I had stage four cancer and was re- re- recovering, and. Uh, Stephen presented me this uh, this script, you know, uh, Richard Le is a great writer, with Matt Damon as my co-star. So again, you go, and I was, you know, I was I was lucky to be alive, not to mention I did think I'd ever work again, and here I was having a Steven Soderbergh film with Matt Damon as my co-star, Jerry Weintraub, a great entrepreneurial producer, and. and So it was just a uh, it it was a wonderfully fortuitous uh, moment. uh, Deeply appreciative of it in terms of my rehabilitation and um, and but was interestingly enough was a movie that was turned down by every studio, every single studio turned um, that picture down. And so as a result we uh <clears throat> we went to uh, uh to HBO. Right. And did it. And uh
1: before I I, might add, yeah. sorry, I
2: I I might add also that one flew over the cuckoo's nest, which was independently financed and produced by my my partner, Saul Sands We totally did our po- post production. We you know, Milos did the entire film, we laid our music in we put it all together. Basically, the movie that you saw that won the Oscar was a movie that we then went to Hollywood to try to make a studio distribution deal,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and every studio turned it down. Wow! The same picture. There was nothing. The same movie. that one that won all the uh, won five Oscars, and it was finally the last choice, United Artists. Uh, so I just. I say that to your 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 writer uh, students out there and other people, that sometimes people don't have the right answer.
1: Right, nobody knows anything, right? Which nobody <laughs> knows
2: anything. They okay. don't. So the, the same thing happened with uh, with uh, the Liberace, and uh, we went on HBO, and then we ended up winning, you know, all of the Emmys and stuff like that.
1: Right. So. Um, and and before I ask you about uh, the Kaminsky method, I'm I'm curious about uh, you know your work with a with a TV showrunner for the first time in Chuck Lorre. Um, I just wanted to ask you know if, looking over your IMDb, obviously you know as you said the the batting percentage is so high. There there are just so many classics on there, so many fantastic movies. Are there a bunch of projects that you tried to develop with writers and just never got off the ground? Um, is there a whole graveyard of those, or do they not really exist?
2: Well, there, 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 there's, there's a, there's a few. I can't say they were loves of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, the only that that, that was the only one that sort of beloved my life is have, was not able to do was was the conquest of Mexico. You know the story of Cortez and Montezuma. Oh, really? But other than that, there was a point in my life when my, um, you know, in my producing career and my acting career. Uh, were parallelly very successful. Where I had a substantial company, I had financing, and we were producing and developing materials. And there was a, a stack of mediocre, mediocre material, which um, you know I would find myself coming off. You know the hours of acting in a movie, and then face a, you know a stack of six or seven or eight scripts. That, needed work on uh, where I was a little overwhelmed and like, you'd be careful what you wish for. Mm-hmm. It was a little, uh, all a little too much, but I, no, I don't, ha- I do not have any, um, you know, great love project that I have not. hmm have not been able to
1: get on. No. And w- were there other times when uh, a piece of material came to you, whether you know, is through some piece of IP, a book, or um, um, you know, a short film, or something like that, and you specifically sought out a screenwriter? You know, a lot of these movies. Something that um, I find interesting is that you've worked with so many different screenwriters. You haven't gone back to the same well over and over again, like some actors do. Um, do you do, are there some screenwriters out there that you feel like are your partners that you always want to go to first with an idea?
2: I I I haven't, but I I, I treat that as a fault of mine. <laughs> um, I I think um, I look at Tom Hanks, for instance,
0: uh-huh.
2: um, and you know how much of a career he's made with Steven right. uh, Spielberg, and there are. Uh, there are people that work together all the time. Uh, I've only really had that opportunity well a couple times with, with Soderbergh, but with Daddy DeVito and yeah. Kathleen Turner and doing three pictures together. But there's a comfort factor and 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 a short a, a shortcut. To dealing with each other dialogue wise, and you don't have to worry about being diplomatic when you know each other, and there's a comfort factor. And I did not cultivate that, mm-hmm. part of which is I've never really lived in, in LA for that much of my career. I uh, lived either East Coast or up in Santa Barbara, California.
1: And why is that? I live in New York also, and I find it, you know, career wise, just so much more freeing than being in LA where everyone is just so under pressure and competitive and jealous of each other, and it's just sort of a. It's, it's-
2: yeah, it's well. I, that's why I just like I like the eclectic mix back here. I mean, I, I just find when you're in LA, it's so much in terms of the West Side of the of the city. Uh, you know, a, a one industry town, and you live and breathe uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, your biz. Right. Um, that uh, you don't really realize there's anything else uh, around. But to get back to your point, if there are things that I wish I did better, I wish that I had cultivated uh, cultivated those relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of, you know, would finish a project um, as as good as it might be, and would go on to a next one without really reaching out. To those direct those writers before it's 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 a it's a real weakness and, <laughs> and
1: um, well it's also giving you though such maybe the eclectic career that you've had where every project feels incredibly different from the one that came before which is a positive it,
2: yes I, I yes I I, uh, I I think that that probably is is true you know it uh, but it, it did I, I've never mapped out I I never knew what I was doing in the future. Very seldom did I finish a picture knowing what my next picture was going to be.
1: Hmm. That didn't cause anxiety of not knowing what to do on the Monday I, uh, morning? After.
2: I, I don't know. You know, I, I, I probably got to talk to somebody. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I think it was just, you know, it kind of not really well thought out in terms of career planning on my part. I can't say everything's worked out. Um, it's worked out pretty well. Yeah, I'd say so. But I just didn't know, you know, a couple of t- a couple of places I, I had it, but, but a lot of times I just didn't know what I was going to feel like mm-hmm. to, to to do next. Right. I mean, a couple of times I know, like with basic instinct, I was really looking to do a slam dance. There was a, a strange uh, sexual uh, uh, repression. Uh, that was sort of going on at, at that time. Um, you know, some of it had to do with the, with the women's movement coming in, but just other stuff that we wanted. I was looking. I, I was looking to do a slam dance. I mean, I was looking for a project that was uh, hmm. was was in your face.
1: And I'm sorry, so uh, we skipped over that one. The Joe esterhouse script for Basic Instinct. You were you were looking for that kind of material, and so your agent sent you his script, or correct? Okay.
2: Yeah, because that, and, and that was a. Uh, that was a very unfortunate process with with the writer uh Joe, maybe out of his insecurities and everything sort of has a reputation of being a bit of a bully and a mm-hmm. blustering and really would not did not want to do any of the rewrites um um uh, that uh, paul Verhoeven, our director and and I spoke about he mm-hmm. he, he really was about any of the rewrites until until we were halfway uh, halfway into the movie in um, San Francisco, and the um, the gay lesbian um, crowd at that time protested the movie because they had a lesbian as a murderer.
1: Right, I remember that.
2: And we ended up, it was like it came out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, we had San Francisco riot police surrounding us when we were filming and uh, big crowds chanting. And they saw this as the hook, I think, for their movement. Well, Joe Esterhaus, who lives in the Bay Area, uh, all of a sudden came the most malleable screenwriter you've ever seen in your life. Wow. Uh, and uh, was very anxious to change anything that they found um, uh, offensive. Oh. Um, and actually, but, we couldn't. It was we were, we were well down the line by that time. and Sharon Stone still was going to be the killer. But uh, right.
1: And before that, why why didn't um, you and Verhoeven replace House and just bring in a new writer to do revisions?
2: I I don't remember I th- I think he had a I think he had a control he, you know Joe was a big writer I right. don't remember this it's a good question but I think there was there was a uh, actually a control issue in terms of him, him being rewritten.
1: Mm-hmm, interesting. I
2: think that's, I think that's how he sold his, his script.
1: Right, he was the king of the spec market. He could not
2: be, yeah, he could not be, uh, nobody else could rewrite it, he, right. he, was, he was.
1: And by the way, I'm just curious about, you know, uh, sort of all these scripts I imagine has changed throughout your career, but are there certain people you give scripts to, maybe your agent, maybe your wife, and ask for their opinion about whether you're crazy, whether this actually works, whether this is worth doing? Whose opinions? do you trust about scripts
2: um i don't mean it sounds a little egocentric but but mine you know at this point really when you say trust your instincts um i very early in my career was fortunate enough to recognize that i had good instincts Mm -hmm. not right all the time you can't be right all the time but most of the time, just as far as making acting choices or how to do a scene or how to pick a project, my instincts were 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 good, you yeah. know. And so I've always sort of relied uh, relied on them. That's great. Um, throughout, I've had not I've not had to question um, as far as far as material is concerned. I've made lots of mistakes in, in terms of personnel whether it be directors or producers right but as far as material and again that's why I made a point um, in in the beginning about talking about the playwrights conference and, and the first years of streets of, right. of, of, of that of that exercise of basically working your 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 literary m- mental muscles mm-hmm. on, on on structure and, uh, and 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 learning about that and then learning not to be seduced as you go back and break it down
1: Right. And I I mean, you're absolutely right. And, you know, the material you've chosen, uh, I I know just what you mean about, you know, sort of the classical three-act structure and so many of those scripts adhering to it. But what has also been so amazing about your career is that you've chosen scripts that work perfectly for the time that they Mm -hmm. come out in. You know, Basic Instinct when it came out, Wall Street, of course, when it came out. Traffic, when it came out, I mean, a yeah. fa- Fatal Attraction, it feels like you really do have your finger on nice. the pulse. Yeah,
2: I'm, well, I'm a news junkie. Um, I do think it probably has something to, mm-hmm. to do with it. I, I, I like to follow current events uh, pretty carefully and, uh, again, sort of trust the feeling of, about, about being every man, about when I feel something, you know, um, I I I I feel I have the balance of a liberal and a conservative side, and I I just feel like you know I, I feel like my instinct is in keeping um, with the with the
1: average person. Mm, that's great. Um, and so then last uh, the Kaminsky method with Chuck Lurie. So this is the first time uh, I believe that you're working with a TV showrunner. Um, right. How uh, has that process? Uh, been very different than your process with, you know, your screenwriters, where you've done just a, a two-hour movie, where you're now working on a character for hours and hours and hours.
2: Well, to, to, to a certain degree, I mean, you know, uh, Chuck Lorre is an incredible force to be reckoned with. If you look at his IMDb; it's like, you know, yeah, it's 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 just nonstop. So they, uh, my agent, that was not something I was looking for or anything. They basically came to me with this script for a television uh, half-hour comedy. And without looking at it, my instinct was, oh, come on, I'm not ready to go there. Um, you know, in a full circle. But then, as I began to understand... Well, then I read it. I read it and it said, uh, this is the first uh, the first hour, first half hour of, uh, of the first season. I read it and it said, this is really good. Mm-hmm. This is really good writing, and of course, as, as you well know, but then I began to understand streaming mm-hmm. and the beauties of streaming. And you know what's happened is um, so many of the of the film writers or film writers have moved into the streaming area not only uh, because they have a little more control, because they could also be producers. Right. Um, and it's monetarily uh, uh, sure. more more beneficial. Um, and it's broken down this, this stigma between television, which was on one track, and feature films is on the other. And why early in my career I was not allowed to be, or they wouldn't want me in feature films because I was a TV actor. And in those days, in television, they can watch you for free. But in movies, they have to pay, right? To to go to the theater. In any event, uh, the script I read it and said, "Jesus, this is this is this is really good. This is great writing." Yeah. and um so I, I then when I as I understood now the whole scenario of streaming, and the fact that I could do a season a whole season of these shows in less time than it takes me to do a feature film. Um, and because I do like to work quickly, uh, and then Alan Arkin came in, and so I mean this is as good as it gets, yeah. you know. And if I take away the the television stigma and just treat this because there is no commercials, we can talk about any subject. We can use language. There's no restrictions.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: We say a half hour comedy. It can be 25 minutes long or 35, 40 minutes long. There's right. no there's no restrictions on it. So it was a wonderful opportunity, and also for Chuck Lorre, who had never never uh, worked in that medium before. Right. And so he, you know, most TV shows have a stable of writers on it, but Chuck uh, assumed the responsibility of writing this series himself.
1: Is that right?
2: Yeah. And uh, he got some help by uh, Al Higgins.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Uh, but we have the, the, the second season now is coming out uh, October 25th, I think it is. Um, and uh, it, it's good, you know. It's it's good. So,
1: did you find um, yourself talking to Chuck more about your character than you would have?
2: You know, I, no, that 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 was. Thank you for my that was the point. No, but uh, with, with Chuck, it's 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 uh, it's the gospel. I mean, Chuck is Moses holding <laughs> the tablet. I mean, no, I mean, I, he is every if and and but. You right. know, uh, he's very. Very particular, and I understand now because one of the reasons why I wanted to do this show was to learn about comedy. Hmm. This is not something. I mean, comedy. You know, comedy is so underrated. I, you know, we all we all savor a friend who's comedic. We all love a funny friend. Right. You know, we 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 treat it though uh, professionally. We really treat it as a second-class citizen. I don't know why there's not more movies that are funny, be it hang over others that are not nominated. Um because it's 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 hard to do. Comedy is much more difficult to do than drama. I mean just look at life. So um I I, I was looking forward to trying to learn the subtleties, the sense of timing, mm-hmm. and pauses that um that exist. So mm-hmm. It's been a wonderful, wonderful opportunity, and I'm,
1: I'm very grateful. That's terrific. Um, well, listen, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to us and being so generous with your time. We really, really appreciate it. I'm such a, such a big admirer of your work.
2: Thank you very much. I appreciate it very much.
1: Yeah. Um, oh, and by the way, I sent you an email. Was, was there any scene that you wanted us to play maybe on the way out, um, just from a craft perspective, a, a scene of, of yours or of someone else's that you're, that you're a fan of? Well, this is just audio, right? Yeah, just I. But we we play we often play the scene like Ron Howard, for instance, last week chose a scene from your movie One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, um, and we played it. He's he's a giant fan of the movie.
2: Well, one I think of from Cuckoo's Nest, um, but a couple of suggestions. Yeah. I was thinking is, as good as texts are. One of the things, the opening when the opening scenes in Cuckoo's Nest is a scene between Jack Nicholson and the superintendent of the mental hospital mm-hmm. uh where he's an admissions in an admission scene an admission scene into the hospital, which on paper reads fairly uh you know, kind of straightforward and boring, but with the interaction of these of these two people and uh, and Jack trying to convince this guy that he's not just a criminal but he's actually criminally insane and belongs to be there uh, becomes very funny and 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 very uh, very special, but that's probably a, a scene that probably almost needs more. Because the two thoughts I had, yeah, was was that and we didn't talk about sex in, uh, yeah. in film, which is um, and and then I'll stop. Which is a, a, an interesting area I get hit on about this a lot because of disclosure and fatal and and. Uh, Sure. But I remember the scene in the kitchen with Glenn Close, uh, the sex scene in the kitchen. Yes. And the danger with sex is um, if you succeed well at it, and I'm talking about sex, not romance. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you succeed well at it, you 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 border on soft porn. You know, I mean, if you try, if 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 you're if you're successful at it, make people hot. Audiences can get uncomfortable, sure. you know, in, in, a, in an audience with, it, with with everybody together. So you you try to find how do you relieve them. So one of the joys of that scene um, in the kitchen, which ends up with Glenn sitting up on the sink, right? As we're doing it and working so closely with Adrian, and this is where you know where the actors come in. And Adrian, you know, in the support, said, "Well, what can we do to make it better?" And then Glenn said, "Well, maybe I can arch back and I'll turn the water on." And he goes, "Yes, yes, I'll turn the water on and take it and put my fingers and put his fingers in his mouth." Yes, 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 that'd be great. Yes, yes, you know. And so we, we it got even better. And then we said, "Well, how do we, how do we kind of end this?" Because what I realized was sex. So that I came up, "How about if I lift her off the sink?" And I still have my pants down, and I have to kind of waddle, waddle to go to the bed, you right. know, to the bed. I remember that. And we get a big laugh. <laughs> right. And the laugh relieves you of the awkwardness and the tension of, of watching what was what was a successful sex scene, but makes you feel a little bit like you're looking at your neighbor like, should I be watching this or
1: not? <laughs> right.
2: And uh, so that was a comic, uh, little comic relief. Uh, which tends to be very helpful for sexy.
1: That's fascinating. And so you're saying that that, those are all things that you found on the day? Those weren't in the script? Those
2: are things we found on the day. So those are the things with with whatever your situation has and however important the script is, that was the ability to work with a director that leaves it open enough to find something else.
1: Right. And was that. You know,
2: an idea that I like to think of, you know, of us having, having the writer having one idea in his back pocket as the purpose of the scene, but being open enough to find something. Gee, I didn't think of that. Right. That's, uh, you know.
1: And was that, do you remember, was that late in the filming so that you were already living in this character and you were sort of able to make decisions as the character? Yeah, it was about
2: halfway through. Uh-huh. But, I mean, whether you're beginning or ending, it, it depends whether it's a comfortable environment or not or a comfortable set. Right. And um, Adrian was a wonderful director that way. And, and I purposely, again, going back to the, the television series, purposely make an effort to make as as usually the number one on the call sheet, to make all my actors feel as comfortable as possible. Mm-hmm. People do their best work when they're comfortable, not when there's a lot of tension. Right. And so I don't try to intimidate anybody. I try to just welcome them to be as good as they can be.
1: Right. That's awesome. Um, well, thank you so much. This has my been pleasure. fantastic.
2: My pleasure. Good luck this year.
1: Thanks, Michael. Okay. Bye.
2: Bye-bye.
3: Yeah. Money never sleeps, pal. Just made 800,000 Hong Kong gold. It's been wired to you. Play with you. you mm. done good, but you got to keep doing good. I showed you how the game works. Now school's out. Mr. Gecko, I'm there for you 110%. No, 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 you don't understand. I want to be surprised. Astonish me, pal, new info. I don't care where or how you get it, just get it. My uh, wife tells me you made a move on Darien. Well, here's some inside info for you. That uh, Euroflash GQ type she's going out with, got big bucks, but he's putting her feet to sleep. Exit visas are imminent, so I don't want you losing your place in line. Ah, oh, Jesus. I wish you could see this. Lights coming up. I've never seen a painting that captures the beauty of the ocean in a moment like this. I'm going to make you rich, Bud Fox. Yeah, rich enough. You can afford a girl like Darian. This is your wake-up call, pal. Go to work.
1: That was such a thrill. Thank you so much to our producer here at the Yale Broadcast Center, Ryan McAvoy. If you dug the show, please do us a favor and give us a rating and subscribe. You can hit me with questions or complaints on Twitter at Aaron D. Tracy or email me at Aaron.Tracy at Yale.edu. See you soon.